Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Hope you're all doing well. If you're new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out the channel. If you're someone who's been here before, thank you for showing up again. Let me just ask that after watching the video, if you find you enjoyed it or learned something, please do me a favor and smash the like button and subscribe to the channel. And if you want to support the work I do, please consider a Patreon subscription. I'll leave a link in the description. Now, let's dig in. Today, I'm sharing information on two cases we've been keeping an eye on. The case of Rachel Morin, the mother of five who was found dead on a hiking trail in Bel Air, Maryland, and the case of Corey Richens. Corey's the mother of three who is accused of doing in her husband, Eric, with a lethal Moscow mule in Utah. So guess who's showing up to assist in the search for the monster who took Rachel Morin's life? I'll give you one clue. This man also got involved in the hunt for Brian Laundrie when he went MIA in Florida. Yes, I'm talking about Dog the Bounty Hunter. On Tuesday of this week, Dog the Bounty Hunter, aka Dwayne Chapman, on his Facebook shared the video of the perpetrator that the Hartford County Sheriff's Office released after DNA from Rachel Morin's crime scene matched DNA from a home invasion and assault in L.A. Chapman wrote, Hey, Bounty Nation, I need you guys to do what you do best and help me identify this suspect. Rachel Morin was brutally murdered by who investigators believe is a serial killer, end quote. Chapman was also on News Nation last night with Chris Cuomo. During his appearance, he zeroed in on the suspect's necklace and haircut. He's speculating that the man's shaved do could point him to being in the military. Chapman also wondered whether cell phone towers nearby may hold more information on the man's identity. He's also wondering if neighbors may have additional footage of the man leaving that L.A. home. And one of my most brilliant subscribers asked the question, why haven't the authorities in Los Angeles had a composite sketch of the man that the girl in Los Angeles had to have seen? Why haven't they had that made? Also appearing on News Nation last night was Hartford County Sheriff Jeff Goller, who expanded on his belief that this guy could be a potential serial killer. Goller said, quote, serial killers all start somewhere. What he did in Los Angeles was certainly, I believe, in that direction, end quote. Goller said that there were aspects of the crime in L.A. that were present in Rachel's homicide. I'm thinking he may mean aspects of the S.A. part of the crime. We know that the young girl in L.A. did not lose her life, thank God. Now, Goller made it clear that this guy, without a doubt, will do this again if he's not removed from society and put behind bars. Goller also believes someone out there knows who the guy is. According to the sheriff, investigators were in Los Angeles last week working with the two cases, and he he said that they now, quote, have some of the answers they were looking for. The sheriff did not elaborate on what those answers are. Retired detective Chris McDonough of the interview room talked about the perpetrator possibly having a gang affiliation in L.A. 
I'm wondering if that could be one of the elements of the case. Moving on to the Corey Richens case, remember how Corey claimed she'd written the children's book with her son's input to help the three young boys cope with their father's sudden death? Well, it sounds like Corey had a ghostwriter. After Eric died, Corey wanted to hire Shane Walter to work on the children's book. Walter spoke to People magazine about his experiences with Corey. Walter said this of the period when Corey reached out to him for help with this book. She was all alone at that point. She was doing everything that a mother can do, end quote. Walter also stated that Corey was often teary-eyed during their discussions. Other of Corey's friends also spoke to the magazine to say that the Utah mom is innocent of her husband's March 4, 2022 death and that the evidence prosecutors have used against her has been taken out of context. One friend who is close to the case said, quote, There's a lot that will come out at trial. I'm certain that once it does, the jury will make the right decision, end quote. So these friends shared some background info about Corey's life. They said that she worked as a housekeeper through college and often felt like an outsider around Eric's affluent ranching family. And a year after the birth of Eric and Corey's first son, Carter, the couple married in a backyard wedding in June of 2013. According to the friends, shortly before Corey walked down the aisle, Eric's mother presented her with a prenup agreement barring her from claiming Eric's 50% stake in his stone masonry business except in the event of his death. We'd heard about this prenuptial agreement before, but what we didn't hear was that it was presented to Corey right before she walked down the aisle. I almost feel like the mother sort of set her son up for his death by writing that in the prenup. I mean, you never know what people are capable of when they're desperate for money. And Corey is allegedly $2 million in debt. Corey told investigators in an email sent weeks before her May 8, 2023 arrest that, quote, Eric wanted us to live the typical conservative life where the man takes care of his family, and the wife is a homemaker, wife, mom, and that's it. That is not my personality and not the way I was raised. I wanted more. But in that same email, Corey also said that she and Eric had worked things out, a statement that People Magazine is saying is supported by friends of both Eric and Corey. Throughout the investigation, as all of this stuff hit the fan, a close friend of Corey's recalled being surprised that she was still wearing her wedding ring. That friend recalled Corey saying, quote, I just miss Eric. In his obituary, Eric was characterized as the ultimate family man, and he certainly appears that way if we base it just on family photos that have been published. Eric was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He'd gone on a two-year mission to Mexico City in his youth. But according to the article in People magazine, some people who are close to Corey say that Eric was also a man who had strayed from the church and had begun drinking and taking illegal drugs during their marriage. 
I think we need to take all of this with a grain of salt, since Eric, who is now cold in a grave, is not here to dispute any of these accusations. Another friend of Corey's said that Eric's family never liked her. The article said this of Eric's family, quote, and they want to believe Eric was perfect in every way, that Eric couldn't have died in any other way besides at Corey's hands, end quote. Corey's best friend, a woman named Allie, told the magazine, quote, The family needs an answer, someone to blame. I believe Eric must have died from an accidental overdose, end quote. Note that prosecutors in the case have said that hours after Corey's arrest in a recorded jailhouse phone call, Corey told her mother and brother that Eric asked her to buy pain pills for him and suggested that the drug dealer had sold her the illicit substance instead. Now, in my opinion, Corey likely knew her jailhouse calls were being recorded, so what she told her mother and brother in this call could have been for the ears of the authorities. The People article also mentioned a fentanyl-free cocktail glass that could support Corey's defense. Apparently, in an early pretrial hearing, Corey's lawyers talked about the cup in question, and at a bail hearing in June, the lead investigator testified that law enforcement never tested the empty cup for traces of drugs. That cup should have been tested, but then again, Corey could have scoured that puppy before she dialed 911. As for Corey's current status in jail, the article says that she's studying for the LSAT in hopes of becoming a defense lawyer for people unjustly accused. I'll give this to Corey. She's an ambitious lady. I mean, she did get a book written and then had it published on Amazon, and now she's planning on becoming a lawyer. If she's convicted, I'm sure she's going to have plenty of time to study for that degree. Her trial date has not yet been set. A hearing in the case is slated for September 1st, and I'll be watching to hear what comes out of that hearing. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, did you enjoy this at all? Did you learn anything? If so, smash that like button. See you next time. Stay safe.